Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Kia and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. Welcome along to RNZ's Sports Podcast. We're joined by RNZ columnist Hamish Bidwell and Whitefern cricketer Susie Bates, along with RNZ sports reporters Matt Chatterton and Felicity Reid. In the programme today, the race for the All Blacks coaching job is down to two, it would seem. A head-to-head battle between current assistant Ian Foster and Crusaders coach Scott Robertson. Both Jamie Joseph and Dave Rennie ruled themselves out, with Joseph deciding to stay with Japan and Rennie taking on the Wallabies job. And the breakers, are they broken? They're struggling both on and off the court. What's changed and how important is culture in the team? Hamish, start with you. What do you read into the uh, quickly shrinking list of All Blacks coaching uh, contenders? Uh, You called it a race. It's probably more of a dawdle and a bit of a bore too. I just wish they'd just appoint someone. They must have known all the way through that they wanted Ian Foster and they wanted a coronation rather than a contestable process. Um, The fact that the All Blacks didn't win the World Cup complicated things slightly and made um, Scott Robertson's candidacy a bit more valid but they've wanted uh, Foster from the get-go they should just simply appoint him um, the rest of it's just a charade the, there was no way that there were 26 people legitimately in the in the race um, the other contenders knew that and act, and their actions showed that they took uh, jobs with other people um, New Zealand were arrogant they didn't line people up in the first place they just assumed they'd win the World Cup and they could appoint Foster and they've been um, left with no one really to, to choose from because the other candidates have been had verbal or written agreements with other nations, and they've 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 honoured those, and um, it's actually a bit embarrassing and, and, a, and a, a sort of a black mark, I think, for New Zealand rugby. Uh, a couple of issues. I'll get back to you on that, Susie Bates. Welcome along from Australia. New Zealand rugby decided not to go through the process of getting a coach until after the World Cup. They thought it would interfere. In, in your experience, would would that play an issue? Would it? You know, look, talking about coaches before the current tenure is over. Uh, yeah, I think I don't think so these days. I think players and coaches are so used to the, how the professional game is run, and, and everyone knew Steve Hansen was going to be finished after the World Cup. And I don't think it would have been a distraction. I think these days you're always dealing with contracts coming up before seasons are over, and yeah, just surprised that it's kind of panned out the way it has. And um, like you say, it's not really a competition now. And you'd be disappointed uh, from Dunedin that. No Highlanders, Jamie Joseph or Tony Brown in contention? Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that. Um, good to see Tony Brown showing his loyalty to Jamie Joseph. But, yeah, I, I did think they were serious contenders until, obviously, they're stuck with Japan. But I think for someone like Jamie Joseph, who's made such a difference over there, um, it's pretty hard to turn down um, another four years of security with a team that seems to be getting better and better. Hamish, you talked about these 26 or 27 coaches across the country that they were going to talk to. Do you, do you think really that was just a bit of lip service and what was the point? Or have, in fact, they actually done it? Oh, it was just for show. As I say, I think their, their preference was a coronation. They wanted a succession plan. They wanted Foster, as I say, to succeed Hanson. And, uh, yeah, they haven't been able to do that. I, the thing is, a lot of those guys who've choos- chosen other nations or other contracts, they didn't leave New Zealand by accident. They had done their time with New Zealand rugby. They'd left 
um, not with great relationships. They had had enough of New Zealand rugby being run for Steve Hansen's benefit alone. And, and when you're a super coach and everything's tailored towards the All Blacks and the All Blacks coach, you, you rightly get a bit annoyed. And these guys had left and they, they didn't want to work for New Zealand rugby. And for New Zealand rugby to come to them now and say, oh, hi, come work for us again. They, they didn't want that. And that's shown, as I say, in their actions. I just, I think it's a bit arrogant from New Zealand, a bit complacent and, um, Dead set. If, if if they get Ian Foster, the outrage will be will be uh, you know widespread. I just think no one rates him. No one particularly is warm to him as a person. It'd be a terrible result. Robertson would be okay. Certainly had a lot of success. He's a slightly unusual guy. So in that respect, he'd be a change. But it's it's more Crusaders. We're going to have another Crusaders captain. More most likely, we're going to have another person from the Crusaders as a coach. With the new CEO is from the Crusaders. It's a very much a a one outfit knows how to run New Zealand rugby and everyone else just has to toe the line. I just, as a, part of that is the reason why the Rennies and the Josephs and Chris Boyd and all these other people have gone. They don't fit the Crusaders model. They, they don't believe in it. They don't endorse it. And we're getting fed this the whole time. I, I think it's, it's dangerous territory when you assume that one group of people know better than everyone else. The succession plan of having to almost be involved with the All Blacks to get the top job, I mean, are they never going to look for outsiders? I mean, and then where, where does that leave, perhaps, when it comes to assistance? You know, you've you've got to leave a super rugby job to, to then go in to be an assistant with the All Blacks to have any chance of coming through. I mentioned at the start that I was finding the process rather a bore. The one thing that's semi-interesting is who people are going to assemble on their team. You're not... A, a sole coach you have a you have assistance and and it's about you lobbying for your team and, and the attractiveness of your team so that will be interesting in terms of who the candidates have got um you mentioned tony brown earlier he was he was the guy that everyone seemed to be after the the, the, the almost the inheritor of wayne smith's throne as the as the the genius uh, that everyone wanted on their team he's as you mentioned gone with joseph um it'll be interesting who the others can assemble because they'll play a big part and who eventually gets it but I, as i say i think their preference has always been foster they've been pretty open about that um, is, and the World Cup result sort of hampered that a little but I still think that's their, that's their, that's their preference. And we've had uh, this regime for sort of eight years and maybe it's set to continue. Uh, Susie just in your time perhaps with the White Ferns you've had a number of different coaches uh, and I suppose in, in cricket though you've had to have new people come in I mean how have you found the whole process of when perhaps a coach comes in and succession plans and and, and continuation of, of uh, plans for, for, for say the White Ferns Yeah I think that's probably been one of the biggest issues with the White Ferns is we haven't had that succession planning and we've sort of been I guess a little bit um, single minded and had coaches thinking that they'd take us through to the next World Cup and that hasn't always worked out and then we've sort of been stuck with who to bring in next. So I think now with Bob Carter, who's obviously a very experienced New Zealand cricket coach, he understands that process from the, the men's game and I think it's going to be his job knowing that he's probably not going to do it um, for too long term, that he's actually getting the next coach is ready to take over when he has done his time. So I think we've made mistakes in the past that we've kind of had a coach but had no real idea of, of who's going to follow them and we haven't really mentored other female coaches in particular um, to give them the experience to take an international team. So you need now or, or have you got in place perhaps assistants that can you know step up perhaps in the future? Yeah, I think we've um, been really lucky to have Jacob Warham and Matthew Bell, who are both ex-Black Caps players involved in the programme for quite a while now. And I think Bob's sort of taken it upon himself as a 
as a very experienced coach to help those guys um, and mentor them through that coaching so that they're ready to take an international side, whether it's the New Zealand team or not. I think he's he's really driven to make sure those two are getting better and better in, in our environment. Susie mentions a really important thing there, and that's female coaches. That's where um, our national teams, be it in rugby or football or, or cricket, need to really make some strides. Um, there's a sense that some of these male coaches are doing their time um, making an apprenticeship in the female game. And I just think that's I think it's a bit disrespectful to the athletes. And I think we really need to do more to, to have female coaches coaching our female teams. I think it would be more respectful to, to the players themselves. We had Heidi Tiffin, of course, uh, Susie, who uh, had the job for, for a couple of years, had that World Cup that didn't go so well. So are there women coaches coming through? Yeah, I think we have had a few. It's just they've, I guess, they've taken domestic teams and they haven't been able to have that international franchise experience. But I think with the game becoming more professional, players who finish the game are now becoming coaches. I caught up with um, Sarah McGlashan last night, who's working in the Hobart Hurricanes program. You have other international female coaches working in um, these franchises and applying for the international coaching jobs. I think England Cricket have just appointed an ex-Australian player, Lisa Kitely. So I think once the game is more professionalised, you're going to have ex-players going into the coaching profession rather than taking up other careers. So, look, it would be ideal to get a female in our coaching environment and and hopefully they can learn off Bob and um, get that exposure. But I think domestically we're actually a bit limited in New Zealand at the moment. Is that something possibly to do, though, with the course that the, your competition is a bit limited also? I mean, your season is dramatically shorter than the men's season at the moment. Well, yeah, I think absolutely. It's a, it's a career. If you coach in Australia or England now, you can get a full-time job coaching, whereas domestically, unless you're coaching the White Ferns, they're just very limited part-time roles. So people are obviously attracted to going overseas and being able to apply their trade full-time. So... As soon as we can get that domestic system and get full-time coaches, I think you'll get more and more females um, wanting to become full-time coaches. Do you yeah. think that there's a chance or a likelihood that New Zealand can get a franchise competition? It seems sad that so many of our best players have to go to Australia or England to sort of carve out a living in cricket. Do you think there's any chance of it happening here? Yeah, actually, well, this year for the first time, because the Australian Women's Big Bash was moved earlier, the our 2020 Super Smash is actually after the Big Bash, so all contracted New Zealand players are playing in our 2020 competition, which I think is going to be a, a start to making sure that that gets a bit more momentum. I think there's games on Sky Sport, and hopefully we can attract a couple of overseas players um, initially to sort of boost that competition. But, yeah, now that the Big Bash is earlier, we can now play in the New Zealand competition, which I think... It's been really sad that we haven't been able to play in New Zealand because um, it's sort of weakened the competition and we've helped strengthen this competition, which is not ideal internationally. Just two wins from nine games uh, for the Breakers so far this season. It hasn't gone well for them. American import Glenn Rice Jr., who turned up at the club with a troubled pass, found himself in more trouble last week when he was charged with assault following a night out, a charge he has denied in court. Tom Vodanovic got into trouble on a flight home from their game in Perth, mixing sleeping pills and alcohol and leading to police uh, to meet the flight when it arrived back in Auckland. 
There have been several staff changes under the new owner, Matt uh, Walsh, an American, a new coach in Dan Shamir, former player and general manager Dylan Boucher has left the club with no real explanation as to why. The list goes on. Earlier this week, the American owner defended his decision to hire Rice and the culture at the club. I mean, we knew the risk. Um, we knew what we were taking on. We felt like we have the organization and the structure here to help him. Um, but, you know, when you, it doesn't take... Uh, you know, a basketball expert to look at Glenn play and see just how talented he was. And he's amazing. You know, he's one of the best basketball players in the world outside of the NBA. And we felt like at the time, if we could add a player like that into the organization and we could provide him the structure and we could get him to perform, then it was worth the risk. And it didn't work out. And I'm sure that this won't be, you know, the only situation where I make a decision that doesn't work out perfectly for us. The, the, the culture in general, there's been comments about that. I mean, uh, you've been fined yourself for a verbal altercation on the sidelines of a game um, and $5,000 fine. Uh, are you setting a good example as what should be expected uh, from players and, and members of the club? The people who say we have a culture problem here are the people that have either been let go by the club or you know not brought back or um, you know been upgraded and we've upgraded employees here. So um, you know, I challenge anyone who says that to talk to any of our current staff, to talk to the team, to talk to anyone inside our organization, because you never hear any of that talk here. It's just from, you know, the people external from the organization. Yeah, but I mean, there are legitimate comparisons uh, you know, being drawn by people saying, hey, this is not the breakers that the Blackwells ran. Uh, they had amazing success on the field as well as off the field. And people do draw links between, uh, you know, off-field culture, uh, sorry, off-court culture, let's say, and, 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 and success on the court. So um, do you feel that, well, you've got to prove yourself on the court here to say that you do have a good culture? Because there are legitimate comparisons saying this is not the same break breakers that the Blackwells were running? This absolutely is not the same breakers. And, you know, I'm not Paul Blackwell, but I can tell you one thing that you said is absolutely wrong is that the Blackwells had success on and off the court. Uh, You know, there's a reason that the Blackwells wanted to sell. It's because, um, you know, it wasn't a sustainable business and what they were doing, you know, they weren't going to do it anymore. There wasn't going to be a breakers. You know, they had the team on the market for over a year. No New Zealander wanted to buy it. So, it was not a successful organization off the court. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, they won some championships, and we're going to win championships, and we're going to um, win plenty of games. But I see every day what our staff is doing here. I see how hard everyone's working. I know the culture that we're building here, and I'm very happy with that, and I'm very happy with the direction of the club. That's Breakers owner Matt Walsh talking to Checkpoints. Alex Perite. we're joined by uh, one of our basketball reporters, Matt Chatterton. Matt, we can be harsh, I suppose, with the issues that are going off the court you know, because no side ever wants that. But on the court, I, su- I suppose, two and seven, was it? Um, you know, things aren't going too well. No, it's quite funny listening to Matt Walsh there saying we're going to win games and win championships. Well, you ain't proven it so far, mate, that's for sure. Um, I mean, I know Dan Shamir is new, but there was so much hype about him coming from Israel that he was supposedly this uh, well-respected coach that had experience in the NCAA, and that turned out to be false. I mean, they have sort of tried to go on the old marketing campaign there and make them out to be as great as they are, but right now they aren't performing. And it's quite sad, really, because there are some guys in that Breakers team who are actually really good, but at the moment it's just not going well for them both on and off. 
Uh, Felicity Reid, our Auckland sports reporter, has been following the story uh, this week. Felicity, um, you know, you had trouble. I know a lot of people didn't want to comment about the breakers, but, you know, what's the feeling perhaps around uh, Auckland for for the fans of, of basketball that, that things perhaps aren't going so well? I think a lot has been mentioned about changes in management, but we've also seen a lot of player changes. And I think the team's kind of missing those veteran leaders or the people that are prepared to pull their teammates into line. Tom Abercrombie appears to be kind of the quiet lead-by-example captain, and he's not really the guy that's going to call out some of the poor behaviour, perhaps that maybe the likes of Mika Vakona or Dylan Boucher would have in the past. Yeah, I was actually just thinking, you know, there used to be that sort of Kiwi core there, didn't there, that sort of, in a way, led it. Uh, and perhaps, you know, they're, they're, the emphasis now is more on the, the imports? Yeah, and bringing in the guys that Dan Shamir knew from his time in Israel probably hasn't translated in the same way that the club would have hoped that it would have. Um, some of the Kiwi guys maybe don't have the big names, but it has been a success for them in the past. Let's go back to Susie, of course, who was an Olympic basketballer herself. Uh, Susie, you know, this talk of culture and uh, what it means to a, to a club, and I suppose especially the, especially the breakers, how important is that? Yeah, I think it, it's, it's huge, and I think that's what franchise sport um, often can struggle with. Is, you know, in the past you had, it was pretty much the New Zealand breakers, and it was guys from New Zealand, and they moved to Auckland, lived in Auckland, all trained together, and now it seems it is more of an import focus. And I think often franchise teams are so focused on the business side and winning that you sort of you get talented players in, but you don't really know what they're like as people. And then they can come into a side and really change the whole dynamics of the team. And I've seen that playing cricket in franchise teams that I think initially everyone just wanted the, the best players available, but now people are taking more notice of how they're actually going to fit. And when you are playing franchise sport, I think sometimes the tendency is to always be pushing your own case to get gigs elsewhere rather than focusing on the team you're playing for. Yeah, the uh, as I say, this culture, everyone has to get on for a start, don't they, and have a common cause? Yeah, it's not, it's not always about getting on and being best mates, but I think it is that mutual respect and you know, playing with people from different cultures, sometimes there is that bit of misunderstanding about how you, how you go about things, and obviously New Zealanders are very different to Americans, so it does take special people to try and get um, people from all different cultures with different values to get together working towards that same goal. Whether they really like each other or not, it's just about that respect. I think the critical part here is what Matt Walsh said about the fact that the, the Blackwells had the team on the market and no one wanted it. I think a lot of this is overstated. I think, honestly, we're wasting a lot of breath on this. It's um, a team that have been successful in Australia, and that's cool. And we all know how hard it is from teams like the Warriors and the Phoenix to win in a trans-Tasman competition. But dead set. Outside of Auckland, that, not that many people care. If you're a rusted-on basketball person, you might be interested. But most people aren't bothered. They don't care. And the headlines about the team, that they roll their eyes, but they just get on with their lives. They're not too bothered. As I say, I just no one... The Blackwells had a you know, great reputation and the people who were involved in it and were burnishing their own reputations at the same time lauded them, but really no one cares and that's the issue that they have. Hamish raises a good point there. I mean, I think basketball fans in New Zealand, if they are to watch basketball, they're more likely to watch the NBA, if I'm completely honest, than the NBL. That's a far more entertaining and exciting competition to watch. Not to say that what the Breakers have achieved over in Australia isn't impressive. I mean, there's four titles whatever it was, uh, you know, that is 
something that we should really appreciate. But it's just, yeah, I mean, and also I guess to the point about not being so much of a New Zealand team anymore, it is worth pointing out that the half the team is still New Zealanders. So it's not like they've lost everyone. But I think it's the way they're handling situations. Like when Corey Webster was uh, let go by the Black Whales and, uh, and Dylan Boucher for the, pretty much the same reason as, uh, as Glenn Rice Jr., they did that immediately, but the way Matt Walsh went about it, he sort of armed and armed, took him to Perth to even think about playing him, that's just, yeah, not on. Uh, and you mentioned in the fine he got. I mean, the, he reacted to that by wearing a, a sweatshirt with a slogan on it. It just looked like a bozo, do you know what I mean? Like, if it's okay not to win. People accept that there are difficulties in, in, in competition. You're allowed not to win, you know what I mean? There are other teams out there who are entitled to beat you. But if you behave like a bozo at the same time, and then your players get into trouble, really... People's patience wears pretty sudden, pretty quickly. Big thanks to uh, Susie Bates uh, calling in from Australia where she's playing the Women's Big Bash League. Also to Hamish Bidwell, our, our columnist, and to reporters Matt Chatterton and Felicity Reid. Well, that is extra time for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.